Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the show. So, if you might remember, back in episode 61, I think, I wanted to talk about World of Light in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate a bit more, except I hadn't gotten very far at that point. And now I have. I've actually beaten it a few weeks ago, but, you know, there are other things I wanted to talk about on the show. But now, here we are. This will probably be the last time I really spend an episode on Smash Bros. Ultimate. I've been talking about it way too much, but here we are. For me, Adventure Mode has been one of the biggest draws of Super Smash Bros. Because I don't go for the online battles too often. I'll join friends for game nights, but most of the time I'm playing the game alone, especially now that my brother is kind of doing his own thing and my dad is also doing his own thing. I liked Subspace Emissary, which I talked about in Bit 25. Smash Brothers for Wii U and 3DS didn't really have anything like that. They had Smash Run and Smash Tour, and I had problems with both of those modes. Some people liked Smash Run, everyone hated Smash Tour, and I wasn't really big on either of them. But now we have the World of Light. Kind of funny that I'm talking about a Smash Brothers Adventure Mode exactly 40 episodes after talking about the other one, but I digress. While this mode is rather long, it's a little hard to relate my experience without going into spoilers. And Ultimate has been out for at least a month now, not counting all the pre-release leaks. So I think I have room to talk about it. But if you're still working through the mode, I'd recommend you finish it first if you don't want to hear about it from me. But I feel like if that's the case, you wouldn't be listening to this episode anyway. The mode starts immediately with that cutscene they showed us in the Nintendo Direct in November. All the fighters round up on the cliffside and get devoured by Galeem's laser blasts, all except for Kirby. Everyone else has statues made in their likenesses, and then they're controlled by spirits of the characters from all the other Nintendo games. Kirby, lone survivor that he is, has to traverse the world and beat up these puppets while fighting the real characters, which awakens them, and then they join Kirby. Even villainous characters like Bowser or Ridley will join you, no questions asked. It's kind of weird. I guess it's meant to highlight how Galeem is this all-encompassing threat that even someone like Ganondorf would have a hard time coexisting with. I don't really know, though. I know they wanted to be light on story, but I think figuring out why everyone is teaming up would be a worthwhile examination. Now, this could be a big turnoff for people, but the beginning of the mode is the best it's going to get in terms of cutscenes and dialogue and stuff. At a few pivotal moments, we do get more cutscenes, but they're all very short, and there's no more dialogue to be had. So it's a lot like Sakurai said, or at least how I interpreted it. The story is mostly up to our imagination. You enjoy a bit of freedom in how you explore the world, which characters you pursue, which I think allows you to be able to tell your own story. I tried to tell my own story with it. I always tried to have a reason for picking different characters in different levels, at least once more of them were unlocked. 
For example, during the fight with Giga Bowser, I felt like I just had to fight him with Mario. When I was able to unlock Ken, I felt like I needed to use Ryu for that fight. Sometimes I got a little more creative with it. My Mii Sword Fighter is based on one of my writing characters. She's supposed to be a big fan of Zelda games, so I made her participate in Zelda-themed fights when I could help it, and if I didn't want to use Link. Some of my favorite self-created story moments are different times I used Fox in the World of Light. He seemed to be kind of the leader of the gang in the opening sequence, so I wondered, what if he kind of felt bad for leading everyone except Kirby to their deaths? Maybe he'd want to redeem himself. Even though he's not one of my mains, I gave him a few important fights just to throw him a bone. I tried using Ridley's meta-Ridley costume whenever I could to make it seem like the characters beat him up so badly that he had to get his robot surgery, and any fight he was in was just Ridley being on his own. He didn't want to team up with everyone because he's really, really freaking evil, and he just happened to defeat some of the enemies in our way. And of course, when it came time to fight Galeem, I had to have Kirby do the honors. It just felt right. That's what I mean about making up my own story. And you can do that too. There's a certain freedom to this approach that not everyone will appreciate, but I personally liked it, and it kinda made for more unique memories and interpretations of the mode. It took a while for the World of Light to really grow on me, though. I think after I'd beaten my second boss fight was when I started getting more into it. The difficulty is all over the place due to the open nature of the mode, and the enemies can be any of the four classes of spirit, even the dreaded legendary spirits. Early on, legends are such a wake-up call. If you're not using spirits intelligently, they're going to make short work of you, unless you're really good at the game. And Ultimate has the best AI fighters of the series, based on advice from real Japanese competitive players. By the end, I stopped dreading the legend fights, finally. But mainly because I didn't have a choice. You have to fight one every once in a while in the first few areas, but near the end, they start throwing them around a lot more liberally. The big trick to surviving the World of Light, and when I started to enjoy it more, is with the realization that you have to cheat. The World of Light could also be called Cheating, Cheating the, the Game, game mode. mode. World of Light is just one big contest between you and the computer player to see who can cheat better. In the spirit fights, the enemy will have some condition that allows them to be way harder than usual. They're made of metal all the time, or the screen will flip upside down, or they'll have more stamina than, than you, etc. You have to level the playing field by bringing spirits of your own to give you similar or better abilities, or cancel out their abilities. This isn't a sporting contest just to see how tough you are as a player. You're not going to get a lot out of this if you try to do it the man's way. It's really just a big game of Smash Brothers Calvin Ball. Spirits are pretty simple to manage. If you go into your party screen before fights, you can auto-allocate your spirits, and most of the time, you get exactly what you need. Gotta keep track of not just your spirit type, but also the power level of your spirit party. These figure into battles a lot more than you think. It's not just a friendly suggestion a lot of the time. You're really much like you are really much less likely to win if you don't heed their advice. You can level up your spirits in certain ways, and you can have them do activities like exploring fake dungeons or training in dojos to alter their properties. 
But other than Doc Lewis's gym, I didn't really do a lot of this. I'd rather focus on the fights themselves and not worry about tweaking my spirits. There are so many of them in the game anyway that I feel like trading their stats around isn't really worth my time. You also get a skill tree, so for an amount of points you can unlock passive abilities, and then you'll always be able to have them, even if you don't have a spirit equipped that would have given you the same thing. And I believe you can turn some of these off if you don't like them, but I never did that. I'm told that your approach to the skill tree will affect the ending, but I'm not sure how true that is. The mode is smartly mapped out, I think. While it's expansive and you can explore for a decent amount of time, some things are still blocked off until you beat certain enemies. There are even light puzzle elements in the dungeon sections. This is where I start getting into a bit of spoiler territory, so that's your final warning. You have to defeat Giga Bowser. Gallium, the robot from Subspace Emissary, and Rathalos from Monster Hunter, before you can finally reach Galeem. And the battle with Galeem was pretty cool. I wasn't sure how a ball with wings could put up a good fight, but they found a way. Galeem was also a lot smaller than I imagined, but that's probably for the best. Like I said, I battled him with Kirby, because he seemed like the most appropriate character for the job. The game would like you to think this is the end, but you'd probably notice once you got to Galeem that you're still missing maybe half the characters, and a few of the classic mode bosses still haven't made an appearance. Those thoughts did cross my mind, and I knew from some of my friends talking that there'd be more after Galeem. I also knew that there was another original villain lying in the wings waiting to make his own appearance as some kind of counterpart to Galeem. But despite all of that, I still wasn't prepared for what came next. After beating Galeem, this counterpart finally shows up. It's some weird eyeball monster called Darkon, which is a really silly name. And instead of controlling all the master hands, he controls the crazy hands. And your entire team is sucked into a place called the Dark Realm. Now, just like before, you have to fight three more bosses before reaching Darkon. This is the second half of the mode, but I feel like it went by a lot faster. Maybe it's because I had more of the characters and more of the spirits by now that I was able to get through the fights more quickly. But I also feel like this whole area was designed with a more streamlined... Uh, well, a, a better streamlined quality to it. Probably because you're not doing a lot of interconnected exploration. You're really just kind of solving one puzzle and getting to a dungeon without really waiting, because the dungeon emphasis is heavier in the second half than in the first half. Yeah, that would probably explain why it went by a lot more quickly. So in the Dark Realm, we rescue all the rest of the characters and we defeat the last three bosses, Dracula, Ganon, and surprisingly enough, Marks from Kirby Superstar. Look at you, Marks appearing in two 2018 games. Marx's presence in this game was a real big surprise for me. He was the only boss that I didn't know about before going in, so seeing him the first time in one of the classic modes, I was like, wait, what? Marx? He's here? But, uh, yeah, we clear out the Dark Realm and we take on Dark on ourselves. Then suddenly Galeem comes back and the two start fighting each other. 
now we're in the final battle. We have to cross the map while the two bosses are warring, and we have to defeat enemies that represent both Galim's forces and Darkon's forces. The background will change based on which side is winning. There's not a time limit or anything, but if you make it to the end and one side is winning, then you only fight the losing monster as the final boss. And then the winning monster ends up destroying the world. Oops. What you really need to do is make sure both sides are balanced. Then you fight both of them at the same time. The way I was told to do it is that you're not really supposed to focus on balance right away. Just make a beeline for Master Hand and Crazy Hand. You have to beat them up twice. Once you do that, you clear a path to the top, and then you worry about balancing. If I managed to do it, it wasn't really that hard for me. I managed to do it in one try. I didn't accidentally get the bad ending. It wasn't really that bad. This is also where you unlock the final four fighters. Palutena and Bayonetta are found here because Sakurai made a comment about how they'd be too powerful against Galim and Darkon if they weren't saved for the end. He needed them to be defeated at the start in order to sell how powerful Galim really was. And besides those two, you can also encounter Dark Samus and Roy. Dark Samus kind of makes sense. She's a dark alien abomination. But Roy's a little harder for me to figure out. It feels like they just needed a fourth character for this part. Anyway, once you get to the end, at least if you do it right, I don't know if this always happens, but you actually get to play as Master Hand. I didn't know what was going on at first, but you control Master Hand as he defeats 50 copies of the imprisoned fighters. It took me a couple tries because I didn't know how to use his moves, but it was a really cool moment to finally play as the Hand himself, and it was surprisingly nice to see that Master Hand and Crazy Hand were never really evil. They were just being manipulated by Galim and Darkon, and they immediately help you out once they come to their senses. The fight with the the fight with Galim and Darkon at the same time is really intense. This whole final sequence in the battle, it went on for pretty long, yeah. I stayed up way too late trying to play it. But I did it! Starts off with some weird platforming that I wasn't ready for, and then you have a boss rush, you have to beat Ganon, Giga Bowser, Gallium, Dracula, Rathalos, and Marks, all before you fight Galim and Darkon. The game lets you pick three fighters, so you have some margin for error, and you have checkpoints, but it was still pretty tense. And you're allowed to heal after every two bosses in the boss rush phase. And because nobody asked, I went into the final battle with Fox, Mario, and Kirby. Like I said before, Fox was kind of the leader, so I wanted him to be able to redeem himself. Mario is... Mario. I couldn't leave him out. And Kirby was the one who started it all, and originally fought Galeem, so I felt like bringing him along. In the end, it really did all come down to Kirby. Now, the final battle, you fight Galeem and Darkon at the exact same time, like I've mentioned before. I don't believe they have too many new attacks, but the fact that they both fight you at once more than makes up for it, because now you have to account for what you're doing to dodge this one attack while the other guy is still attacking you. I think other than the spectacle and the music, 
My favorite thing about this fight is the fact that Galim and Darkon will still hurt each other. This isn't the player fighting a double boss fight. This is a three-way battle between the player and both of the bosses. They're enemies to each other just as much as they're enemies to you. Their attacks will make contact and still damage each other just as if they were going for you. And during the parts where one boss is stunned and weak, the other one will very blatantly attack it and you with a powerful attack. Gleam and Darkon hate each other. They literally can't cooperate to save their lives. I've seen footage. It's entirely possible to win this battle with just a bunch of dodging. Let them do the work killing each other, as long as the player inputs the final shot. This is something really fresh about having a double boss fight where both of the bosses will target each other just as much as they target you. And it also makes things easier, since, from a gameplay perspective, they are still technically part of the game, so technically on the same side, even though they'll make it easier for you. And once you beat them, that's it. They're both destroyed, and then all the spirits are freed, finally able to return to their home worlds, and we hear Lifelight play in the background one more time. I said earlier that I got more interest in the mode sometime after my second boss battle, once I started winning more fights and unlocking more characters, giving myself more options with how I wanted to approach things. But then it really picked up in the Dark Realm. Everything felt more streamlined, like I said before, and the greater emphasis on puzzles really kept me thinking. And of course, the whole final area was really cool. Of course, the mode's not perfect. I can name a few gripes I have with it. I like the version of the story that I came up with, but I do wish we had more cinematics. The light half of the world had cool interconnectivity, but I think it could have been better streamlined like the dark half was. You can't refight any of the battles, which makes sense for the spirits, but I like to fight the bosses again, besides just the final battle. They reuse certain characters for spirit fights more than necessary. I know I'm biased against Isabel, but does she have to be every little sister from Fire Emblem? A few of the blockades are really picky about which spirits can counteract them, but that seems needlessly picky to me. While I like being creative with the character choice and the satisfaction of earning my favorites, I'm still not a big fan of how some of my most favorites were sealed off until the second half of the mode. You fight Crazy Hand way too many times in the second half of the story, and it feels kind of pointless, especially since you fight Master Hand fewer times than that. The final area and the final boss, while awesome, still tend to drag out a little bit. The fact that this mode is centered on being able to outcheat your opponents kind of makes it feel like one big gimmick rather than a fair fight, which works for me sometimes, but sometimes I would also like to just play a straight match. While these are all valid complaints, I like to think that I can still look back fondly on the world of light. Again, it's not for everyone, and it did take a while before I could really appreciate it. But I do now. It might be a while before I'm willing to give it a second visit, but it's still better than what I said the first time, how I'd never replay it. And now, a quick lightning round where I name some various favorite new and ported songs, other than Gangplank Galleon and Snake Eater. Divine Bloodlines, one of the Castlevania songs. Lost Painting, another Castlevania song. Hail from the Past, yet another Castlevania song. The F-Zero Medley. Ryu's stage theme from Smash Brothers for Wii U and 3DS. Vega's stage theme from the Street Fighter series. Any version of Guile's theme from the Street Fighter series. The battle theme from Xenoblade 2, which got me interested in playing the game itself. 
Crocodile Cacophony from the Donkey Kong Country games, Sunset Heights from Sonic Forces, the new Magicant remix for the Magicant stage based on Earthbound, the Lorekeeper Zinnia remix originally from Pokemon Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. And I have to give special attention to Galeem's boss theme. Really sounds like a JRPG final boss, and it's a fitting climax. I wouldn't have minded if that was the actual final battle theme for the entire mode. But no, that honor goes to a shared theme between Galeem and Darkon, which I praise mostly because it contains a triumphant reprise of the original Super Smash Bros. Ultimate reveal trailer music. Well, it just hammers in how far we've come since June. Now that everyone is here, everyone is going to save their world together from these light and dark abominations. So, I think I've said all I can say now. World of Light more or less played out exactly how I wanted to. In some ways, it even exceeded my expectations. Now I don't have to bother you with more episodes of Smash Bros. Ultimate Talk. Aren't you glad? If you want to hear me talk about other games, then you should keep up with the BitCast on Facebook and Instagram. The pages are named after the show, so you'll know when you see them. And you can subscribe to the BitCast on Podcast One's website or mobile app, or you can even find the episodes on iTunes. You know, tell your friends. Maybe they've got someone to w who wants to hear what World of Light is like. And I can tell them. With that, I'll see you on the next one. Listen to BitCast anytime on podcast1.com and on the Podcast One app.